Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, joining us today, we have Brian on the call. Brian, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, Hi, my name is Brian Middleton, um, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. Um, I am a ABA baby. I've uh, been coming into ABA and Loving it, loving the community, just loving the exploration. A um, little bit about me, my backstory. Um, so I was, uh, I'm autistic, uh, or an autist is a, a phrase I kind of like. It sounds a little bit cooler. Uh, but uh, when I was 14, I was uh, incorrectly identified as nonverbal learning disorder, and uh, Probably would have been identified as Asperger's syndrome if uh, if, the, if that had been correctly diagnosed. Um, but basically, spent years of, of frustration, struggle. Um, you can see some of my articles and videos and stuff talking about this sort of stuff. But uh, the the long and short of it was it wasn't until I became a special education teacher and started working with other kids with autism. Uh, that I started seeing uh, similarities between myself and those kids uh, when I was their age and I started exploring and working with uh, one of my school psychologists that I had the privilege of working with, um, Kelly Price, who uh, we were talking together and, and I was telling her about my childhood and she said, Brian, I think you were, you're autistic. And um, that kind of catalyzed my desire to find out for sure because all the things that I was doing to help my autistic kids also helped me. Uh, and um, it led to me getting a corrected diagnosis, um, talking with my mom, getting information, collecting questionnaires and information. And um, it was about three or four years ago when I was at a small regional autism conference, and by small regional, I mean southern Utah small regional. There was maybe 300 people there, including the presenters. Um, and the keynote speaker, whose name I feel horrible about, but I've forgotten her name, um, she was talking about ABA uh, and on autism, and, and uh, I basically skipped all the other classes I had signed up for afterwards and just talked with her. And uh, she said, Brian, have you thought about becoming a BCBA? And I said, a BCB what? And she said, a BCBA. And I was like, well, for a moment here, could you help me? I'm, I'm NGWE. That stands for not good with acronyms. Uh, could, you, uh, could you tell me what that is? And, and she went in and told me all about ABA. And I just went, where has this been my entire life? Um, and so I jumped in. Uh, to ABA. Uh, I got a job as an RBT, uh, still was a, a special education teacher, uh, went to University of Cincinnati for their postmaster's certification, and uh, just barely finished that, and I'm fully graduated and really excited. Uh, at this point, I've got about 500 supervision hours, a little bit less than that to go. Um, but uh, I, I just love ABA, and uh, because I was a little bit frustrated that uh, that the classes I was taking weren't so reinforcing, um, I wanted I wanted there to be more to it. I wanted there to be more ABA in learning, 
And uh, apparently that's a consistent complaint that a lot of people have because I've been getting a lot of people thanking me uh, for the bearded behaviorist thing. But uh, I decided I'm going to make it more reinforcing by making ABA fun. And um, uh, I guess that's where uh, you, you come in, Amanda. That's where you spotted me with my article that I wrote. Um, the uh, I am autistic and I love ABA. Uh, that that's a that's I guess where we are now. Yes, that is how we first came to know each other, is through your article. It caught my attention because of um, I think an interest of mine in wanting to hear the perspectives of people who are um, practitioners, but also advocates and self advocates and their families and. You have a unique story. It wasn't so much, it didn't doesn't sound like that you, you know, were diagnosed young and a recipient of these services. It's more of like you found that information through your own journey um, and then now are wanting to make it accessible to others who should or could benefit as recipients of, of behavior analysis services. And would you mind just for the listeners talking a little bit about that article, um, what it contains, and and why you wrote it, or how you got it out there, or what drove you to share that message? Yeah, um, so a lot of, I've been trying to connect with uh, the autism community, um, because I am a part of that community, I'm a member of it, and uh, I've I, I encountered a lot of anger uh, towards ABA, and a lot of um, uh, false information is probably the best way of putting it, and uh, it, it took me a while of discussion with a peer um, and, and with my uh, best friend, Bob, who is uh, a fantastic designer, by the way, uh, as well as a really good friend. We, we evolve out loud together quite a bit, um, but uh, I've, I've kind of given that group of people a name uh, I call them the um, hyperbolic outragers. So there, there's a lot of hyperbolic outrage towards ABA, and I feel like what it's done is is it's uh, drowned out the voice of the people who want to um, improve ABA in a positive, um, inclusive manner. And uh, so. I was exploring and trying to understand, and I, I, I basically asked questions and sat back and listened, and uh, repeatedly encountered four different groups of people that my article covers. Um, the first group of people is the people who suffered through abusive, uh, abusive characteristics of ABA, and I put it specifically in my article as an, an abusive phase. Uh, that there were some practices that now are no longer acceptable uh, and that there has to be a huge amount of oversight. In other words, um, aversives being applied more readily is was that phase, and now that's definitely not a phase in ABA. It's definitely moving towards reinforce over punishment, which I'm very pleased about. Um, the, uh, the second group that I encountered is those that are concerned about ABA trying to cure autism. And in my article, I actually set it up and, and, and address a, um, a theoretical lens that views um, autism as a neurotype instead of as a disorder. And I propose that 
a neurotype can have a disorder associated with it, which is what um, autism spectrum disorder is. And it seems to me that the people that I talk with in ABA a lot get that concept. Even if it's maybe not vocalized, they get, okay, yeah, we're not trying to cure the kid. We're trying to give them behaviors and skills that make them successful. Uh, the third group of people is people who don't understand what ABA is and assume information rather than understanding before um, opposing it. And then the last one uh, group of people is people who've made up their minds that ABA is wrong because of the combination of any of the other three. Um, and, uh, and, and so my article goes through and, and basically addresses the different factions and, and my perspectives on them. Um, the, the, the group that's most frustrating to me is faction three because they make assertions like, for example, extinction, which an oversimplification of that is planned ignoring. They call that abusive. Um, and then uh, discrete trial training, DTT, uh, they, they call that abusive too because uh, apparently uh, learning basic steps in the process of learning a bigger skill is um, abusive to them. And, and that's kind of the reason why I, I coined the term hyperbolic outrage because it feels like they don't quite understand what these these things are and that they're they're a natural part of learning and that's that's what I love about ABA is it's uh, it, it always transitions into naturalistic learning it, it generalizes whatever whatever we're going for and yes certain kids have lower function than others certain individuals have lower function than others but it's always about focusing on giving people the ability to have control over their own environment by teaching them skill sets that can build towards their own self-advocacy. Oftentimes I hear the misconception, right, that behaviors are things that we suppress, behaviors are things that we stop. And you, of course, articulated it very nicely and naturally when you said we're talking about behaviors of skill development as well. So it's not always something that we want to see not exist in someone's you know, life or in my own life. Um, there are skills that I definitely want to decrease, but there's a lot of skills that I need to build and to um, put reinforcement systems in place to make sure that they're going to continue to occur in my life. So I think that that's a really important piece is starting with that definition of behavior because we do have uh, a technical meaning for that that's different than what some people think day-to-day. -day. Um, have you found other sort of, what are those entry points to starting conversations for you, whether someone knows what ABA is or thinks they have an opinion about it or maybe they've never heard about it at all? Where do you start in your description of what it is? Um, I usually start with the, the, the ground at the ground floor, the basics of behavior. We're looking at um, respondent uh, conditioning versus operant conditioning, looking at, but the, at the basics. I, I obviously don't go into the, the big flowery language that, uh, that, that we use. I, I basically say, well, there's two types of behaviors. You've got your, your uh, response to the things you need to do to stay alive and then the things you do to respond to your environment around you. Um, and where 
a lot of times I get people hooked and, and interested in talking about this sort of thing is I say, well, the, new, the neuroscience is coming out. We're starting to understand a little bit more about why people like certain things and, and prefer certain things over others. And, and that's kind of where ABA didn't focus so much on because, well, we were only dealing with things that we could see. And, and hypothesizing or saying that something may or may not exist without the technology to, to determine it um, was, was a moot point at that point. But now we're starting to see functional MRIs, we're seeing different parts of the brain lighting up, and we're beginning to understand a little bit of, of uh, why some things are more reinforcing for one person or over another. And, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I did want to mention quickly on, as a side note, um, my parents did so much right uh, when, when I was a kid. I'm one of seven kids, and um, I'm pretty sure a couple of my siblings are, are undiagnosed autistic as well. Um, but they decided to, to homeschool and charter school us, and, and uh, they did so much right to make it possible for us to succeed in life. Um, did they make mistakes? Yes, uh, but more importantly, they did so many things amazingly well, and one of them was that whether they realized it or not, they were applying behavior analytic principles, and it made it possible for um, us, their children, to succeed. All of us are doing really well and have overcome many challenges that we face um, in life, and uh, so, the, like ABA, it, it's a science, yes, but parents do it all the time without realizing it, and and that's that's I think really important to understand is that we aren't isolated, we aren't an island in the middle of an ocean, we are the ocean. We we need to get everybody on board with understanding a little bit more why things work, um, and I think part of it is making the language more accessible. I think part of it is also pointing out to parents what they're doing right. It's a really important connected piece there because, again, um, a lot of families wonder what to do for their children, right? All parents kind of think about that and are they doing the right thing? And um, I'm sure your parents are comforted by hearing that as well. It's like, you know, parents are, are imperfect. <laughs> they are people. They are humans. But we learn a lot through them, and we learn a lot of the examples. And, you know, it's interesting to hear your story, of course, and how you found behavior analysis. But I find, and I find, that many people, although their stories are different, they will find that there was somebody in their life that kind of was very, not black and white, but, hey, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, this will happen. Or maybe they taught you to ride a bike, and they knew it was going to take a ton of opportunities and when someone talks like you were saying about discrete trial or maybe um, what's known as mass trialing, doing something over and over again, they'll think, gosh, that sounds horrific. And it's like, well, have you ever tried to learn a new song on your violin or the piano? It is also repetition. And sometimes it is <laughs> a little much, right, to do it over and over and over again. But there are pieces to ABA that are definitely embedded in every day and I think it goes a long way to make those connections that people experience in their own lives like you did just there. And also to give that message, not just to your parents, but I think to 
all parents out there permission to be human and to yeah. do a lot of things right. Um, you mentioned you're one of seven children. Is that correct? Did I hear that correctly? That's right. Yep. Wow. Um, very different than my life. I grew up with one sister and, and a family of four. We traveled a bit. Do you mind? Can you just share? What's it like to be one of seven for you? <laughs> well, uh, there was a lot of conflict. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm in the top three uh, is, is my joke. Um, so I'm number three in the order. Uh, my... Um, my older brother and I were the closest, and then right directly beneath me was um, my little sister. And um, there was a lot of conflict with us um, through our childhood between me and my little sister, and then, of course, the younger siblings after that. We all got along really well, um, generally speaking, but the, the conflict between me and my closest sister, Amber, was really high. Um, and uh, it, there was a lot of, of really hard-learned um, lessons, but I'm really grateful for my little sister because she has been kind and forgiving and and uh, and helped me a lot. Um, being one of seven kids is uh, well. It, it was it was a great opportunity to prepare me for being a teacher because. And I know a lot of parents get this, and I know that there's a lot of parents who get surprised by this. But I, I was very much aware that everybody's an individual and there's no one person who's alike. And I'm not a parent yet. Um, I'm looking forward to that hopefully soon. But um, I've had a lot of people say to me as a special education teacher, wow, how, how are you so good with these kids? And it was because I had opportunity to practice and practice and practice and, and observe and learn and learn the hard way. Um, that everybody is unique and has their unique tastes and features and, and the things that I do for with one of my siblings is not the same as what I would do for another one of my siblings. Um, for my older brother, you know, telling him I really appreciate him is really meaningful to him. But for my little brother, hanging out and playing some video games is more meaningful. Um, and, and same thing for my sisters. Each one of them has their unique tastes and, uh, that that helped me to be a really great. And I, I know I'm tooting my own horn here, but that's because I'm getting. A, I got a lot of feedback uh, from people on this. A really great special education teacher and helped me to advocate for my kiddos a lot better. And um, this is a little bit of a, a tender subject for me since uh, it was just two weeks ago was my last day as a special education teacher and. It was hard because uh, I had to say goodbye to my kiddos um, because I'm preparing to move on um, to become fully in, integrated into behavior analysis. Um, but uh, it's an important chapter that's led to a lot. And they're not necessarily separate, although it's good to get that experience. And as you mentioned, fully immerse, immersing yourself um, my background was in education, in elementary education, special education, and I have found, although I would be what you would consider fully immersed in behavior analysis now, that educational background really guides me well when talking and working with um, families who are pursuing, you know, school options for their children or teachers who are trying to make the most successful classrooms for their students. So um, 
I wouldn't trade it for the world. And if I had to do it again, I would continue to have that educational background and lens. So I do think that you'll find it will um, it will serve you well. But I know that bittersweet feeling of ending the school year or moving um, to from one place to another. And transitions are tough. Um, like you said, I think earlier, um, it's the end of a beginning and the beginning, or the other way around, it's the beginning of a new thing here, but it's the ending of another yeah. great chapter as well. So, yeah, of course that's tough <laughs> for sure. Um, I wanted to jump back to, this is just a, a question. I don't know if it's connected or not, but you were mentioning where you had done some coursework and you were saying, was it the University of Cincinnati? Yes. That, yes. And do you mind just like, what was it, what was your schooling program like for you? Like what were some of the, did you have like aha moments? I, mean, I know we continue to have them. I continue to oh. have them. <laughs> but do you have one in mind? Hey, I, yeah. I had aha moments out the wazoo, and I still do. Um, I I love talking through things and 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 figuring things out, uh, and and that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm working on eventually making my own podcast. Although I'm waiting until after I get done with the move, but uh, just the reading and considering and thinking about things, and then looking up. Um, other other influencers. I I remember watching quite a few of your your videos and reading some of your articles and uh, the Daily BA and Psychor, uh and 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 a bunch of others out there. A few people who maybe made one or two videos and then stopped, and other people who've made just unending amazing amounts of videos. And it all the connections that were being made. Um, one of the connections that I made actually kind of going a little bit full circle, is uh, mass trials and DTT. Um, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Uh, uh, I, I jokingly call myself a nerd with something better to do. Uh, I enjoy playing video games, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons, hanging out with my friends. Uh, I I don't do a lot of it. I, I usually listen and pick up information from other people, uh, but I do, you know, read comic books and that sort of thing, but it's mostly just listening and, and enjoying uh, other people's enjoyment of a thing. And I realized that DTT and mass trials are video games. Exactly. Like, DTT is practicing a discrete skill, so if we were to put this into a physical world thing, uh, DTT is like making bricks. You're, you you practice making the brick and you make the brick and you make the brick until you have enough bricks and then you build the house with them. Well, the same thing in video games happens where you go in and um, the video game gets you to fight a certain creature or accomplish a certain task uh, with a certain series of button press or things that you do. And then you do it over and over and over again and then they, the program gets you to move on to the next thing. And then it all comes back together when you face the boss and you have to use those combination of moves to defeat the boss or overcome that challenge that the video game presents you with. And that's how I've explained to a couple people who are open to learning. Um, that's important, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the, the difference between abuse versus um, teaching I explained it that way, and they went, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. And all of a sudden, it went from being this 
scary thing that has an acronym connected to it to, oh, well, that's not abusive. What a wonderful connection and an interesting parallel to talk about video games, which is something that so many people can relate to. Most people don't find it aversive if they're engaged in it over and over and over again. And you think about all of the behavioral principles that you could explain just by video games, right? You know, what happens when you don't, when you fall off the side of that cliff? Well, you try that level again and you do it again and you do it again until you jump over that cliff. And something about it's reinforcing if you continue to do it again and again and again. And is it the removal of the aversive, like you don't want to fall off the cliff? Or is it the presentation of something positive, you get to go to the next level? Well, all that's going to depend on your behavior. And you can use something like video games to communicate that message. I've not heard that done before, and I I really do appreciate that that parallel. Very interesting there, Brian. Um, Well, one of the things that I think is really important about ABA is understanding that it is education to the core. Um, it's, It's the way we learn, but we need to take away this old concept of education being sitting in a chair, having someone lecture at you, and we need to make education interesting. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be fun. Like, I don't always have fun when I'm learning, but um, fun is an important part of it, especially at the very beginning. Um, And when I was reading the Cooper book for the first time, I was like, this is the first textbook I've read in a very long time that I was enjoying because it was interesting. It was making me see new connections that I didn't see before. And... um, I think I think as long as we keep that idea of learning needs to be reinforcing, then we can draw those connections and, and, and make it so that more people are applying these principles and we can change the world one person at a time. And I think that was Skinner's vision too. I mean, I personally never had the chance to meet B.F. Skinner, but I certainly imagine his, his ideas weren't filled of uh, – insurance regulations uh, and, and processes. It's more about how do we make learning interactive, interesting, and something that is reinforcing. Because yeah. you can teach anything. You can learn anything, but that motivation is a key piece of it, right? You know, why, why is a child or an adult so fluent in some of the video game skills that they have? Because it's much more motivating. And, yeah, we can oh, teach yeah. You know, in those same ways, we can teach in lots of different ways. And um, something that you've touched upon is that, you know, when it's when you're going down the path of behavior analysis, it's not the learner that has the mistakes. It's the environment or the instructor that can make the change, right? And so that's definitely the connection I make to something that Skinner would say, which is the pigeon is always right. Not that we are yeah. pigeons per se, but <laughs> operating <laughs> under those same behavior analytic principles. Well, um, and and to take that concept and bring it full world, make it real world. Sorry, sorry, I, I promise I'm almost done. <laughs> is uh, I I actually was working with another autistic child, and I was trying to get him to practice manding, and I would just uh, like requesting things, and so I just sat and observed him for a little bit, and. Thankfully, my supervising BCBA trusts me for that, and I realized that he likes that that physical contact and stuff. So I started playing with him a little bit more, a little bit tickles here and and, and playing there, and and uh, he jumped on my back when I was picking something up and said, "Go, horsey!" 
And I thought, hold on a second. This is manding opportunity right here. So I would, you know, let him ride him on my back, and I would go the wrong direction. And then he would, like, you know, go up against the wall and just, you know, walk in place. And then he'd say, turn. And I said, which direction? And he would respond to me. And I used a natural environment thing and him wanting to interact with me to get him to mand. And we saw over collecting data that his manding in other environments increased because we practiced in, an, in, a, in a situation, an environment where he enjoyed himself. That's a wonderful story. And it really does make it come full circle as we talk about behavior analysis, what it means to us, and what we are trying to do or hoping to do by making it available to others. Um, Brian, I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast and for sharing your journey, your story, and also for writing the article that you did. And the articles, there's more than one. Um, it's truly nice to find, really nice is the word. It's, it's truly reinforcing to identify other people out there who are disseminating their perspectives, their, you know, experiences, and their um, message about behavior analysis. And, um, again, I want to thank you for that. Before we end today, I also want to give you an opportunity to tell everyone how they can find Bearded Behaviorists or get access to your articles and other information. Would you mind letting us know how to do that? Uh, yes. So I'm primarily on Facebook right now, if you look up Bearded Behaviorists. Um, and uh, I – I link articles. I'm working on building my website and 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 uh, creating other resources. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention is a little project that me and a bunch of other folks are working on, and and you're welcome to join us in this project too. Um, it's uh, it's called the Society for Evidence-Based Exploration of Neurodiversity, and it came about because those uh, other autistic groups, autism pages, neurodiverse pages are specifically not allowing mentioning of ABA and shouting people down who speak up about it and try to correct misconceptions. Um, a lot of censorship there. And SEEN uh, is what the acronym for Society for Evidence-Based Exploration of Neurodiversity is, because we want to be seen and heard. Um, our specific rules uh, for our group, it's right now just a Facebook group, but we're working on building it up to be something else, is Everybody's allowed to talk. Everybody is allowed to share their opinions and their ideas. Um, we're all about evidence-based exploration and understanding. Um, there's quite a few uh, practitioners in mental health, not just ABA, uh, who are neurodiverse. Um, but we're, we're very much open to any perspective because it's about helping individuals overcome challenges that they face in the real world while also respecting the, what makes them unique. And um, so that's, that's my shout out. Fantastic, and thanks for sharing that information with us and, and providing a place where everyone can be heard and seen as well. Um, I hope to have you back on, Brian, and to check in maybe in a few months and see where your journey has taken you. And as you make your pursuit and move on to now Colorado, is that correct, that's where you're headed? Yep, heading to Colorado Springs, and I'm really excited. 
Colorado Springs. Well, I know ABAI International will be there at some point again, and I believe the Association for the Profession of Behavior Analysts, APBA, is slated to be there next year. So, oh, wow. um, yes, if it's not sooner than that, hopefully in the near future, our paths will cross again. Um, thank you again for joining us today. And for anyone else who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, visit www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm-hmm.